0: Well, this morning we're going to be um, in the Old Testament once again, uh, in the uh, book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 9. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I I know it probably seems a little strange in this season of Lent where we often think about giving something up, um, that we would be talking about a feast. But that's exactly what we're talking about today, is that God sets a feast and invites us to his table. If you get nothing else out of today, get that and know that you are invited and welcome at God's table. Isaiah 55, one through nine, hear these words now. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come and take your choice of wine or milk, it's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does, does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See that I see how I used him to display my power among the peoples. I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know. And peoples unknown to you will come running to obey. Because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious." Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord, that he may have have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine." For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is God's word for us, the people of God. Let's Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for your word that speaks to us. Thank you for setting a table before us and inviting us to freely partake. Likewise, Lord, we invite you into this place now to teach us so that we may go and so that we may also invite to your table. Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I mentioned this briefly a week or two ago, but um, a few weeks ago in Louisville, I went to a training um, on the concept of dinner church. It's an old, new form of worship that a lot of congregations of various types are starting to embrace. The man who presented this concept is the man who I guess first repopularized it. His name is Verlin Fosner, and he's the pastor of a church in Seattle, Washington. And he began this dinner church ministry. Um, he's he's also the pastor of a of a traditional congregation in Seattle. And when he began the dinner church ministry, it was in a season where his congregation was in a in a place of deep decline. Even to the point that as they were decreasing, he flat out told the congregation on this date and this year, which wasn't in the far distant future at that time. He said, this is our going out of business date. What are we going to do about it? So he and his wife, Melody, they began to play with this idea of dinner church and went so far as to rent out their house that they were living in and move closer to the neighborhood where the church was located. And they, they rented an apartment And they decided they were going to invite the neighborhood in to eat and to have worship. The fruit that they saw was beyond what they ever imagined. This was something that they never dreamed would actually be successful, but it was. And what they had discovered is that all sorts of people are hungry. Not only physically for actual food, but they're also spiritually hungry. Now, the people that were coming to dinner church, and as the trend has continued, it's still typically this way. Certainly, there's a lot of poor people that come. And certainly, there's a lot of homeless that come. But there are also a lot of other people. There's wealthy people that come as well, and, and all sorts of people that fall in between all of those categories. And what Dr. Fosner discovered is that all of these people, if nothing else, do have one thing in common, is that they are seeking something. These are people that, for whatever reason, will not step foot into a traditional church worship service. They won't step foot into what a typical church looks like, whether it's just like our our building here, whether it's another type of building where a church meets. They don't want to do the typical church thing. And their concept is very simple. They come, they share a meal, they talk about Jesus, almost always using a a story of Jesus out of one of the gospels as the main message. And then they have Holy Communion together. They have a time of, of discussion. And they also all clean up together. They are truly a community. He realized that It's a biblical truth even that food has a way of bringing God's people together. Food has a way of bringing anybody together. We see actually, and like I said, it's a biblical example because think about uh, just a couple of these. For example, the wedding at Cana. Now all of the attention on that one, and and understandably so, is on Jesus' first miracle that he ever performed. And that was? Turning the other way around turning water into wine. There you go. And it wasn't just any old wine. It was the best wine. But what we overlook is that this was a wedding feast. It wasn't just drunken revelry going on. It It was a party. There was food there. This all happened at a dinner table. There's also the Last Supper where Jesus and his closest friends, the disciples, were gathered together. And the reason that they were there in the first place was for the Passover meal. They were there to share a meal together. And then Jesus shared what became known to us as the Eucharist, communion, last supper, whatever you want to call it. And then if you look in Acts 2, 42 through 47... You kind of get a snapshot of how the early church conducted itself and what they did when they gathered together. What did they do? They ate. They talked about Jesus. They shared in the sacraments. They gathered at a dinner table. House churches that meet today, they gather at a dinner table. You see where I'm going with this? Food has a way of bringing God's people together. And Dr. Fosner discovered that food was a way that he could evangelize. And now because of his heeding to the leading of God to do this, which at the time he really didn't realize that's what he was being led to do, but he soon realized it. Now hundreds of people every single week all over Seattle are being reached for the gospel through these dinner church locations that are meeting all over the city And it's taken off and spread all over the country. As a matter of fact, I've been invited to observe one in Douglasville, Georgia um, later this summer and I'm hoping I'll get that opportunity. You know, one of the first things I remember realizing about Druid Hills when I came here last July was how much y'all like to eat. And I'm okay with that. Because when we gather together to eat, we eat well. There's a lot of good food. We're, I think we can all agree, if nothing, if we can't agree on anything else, we can agree that there's good, there are good cooks here at Druid Hills. You know, in the South, it seems like in general, we have a special relationship with food. I mean, think about soul food. When you're eating a plate of collard greens and some cornbread, and you, you, you know, it just makes you feel better. There's just something about it. Or even when we're having a healthy salad on the times that we try to eat healthy, you know, we get a little bit of lettuce and a whole bunch of bacon and ham and cheese and ranch dressing to put on it. But you know, food gets our attention. Food makes any event instantly better. There's a saying, if you feed them, they will come. And I found that to be true over and over again. But as God's people... What is our calling in that? Are we, are we called to just open our doors as the church or even open the doors of our homes and, and say, come eat at the dinner table? Is that really all it's about? Or are we called to offer something deeper, something spiritual, something to people that have decided they are done with church, people even that we know personally, and I guarantee you know at least one person that's in this category. Or they've decided they're done with church and they're not going to have anything to do with it or God ever again for whatever reason. What if we're called to offer something deeper? What if we are called, we are the ones who are called to offer the bread of life and the cup of, uh, cup of salvation? You know, I know it's the, the pastor is the one who officiates communion, I guess, and offers it to the people. But each and every one of us are authorized and encouraged to bring others to the table with us. Every single one of us has that power. Because God calls us all to the table and he also calls us to bring others with us. God's desire is that we come. And God's hope is that when we leave in that moment, we leave different than when we came. So what do we have in this in this text what are we seeing here and again it may seem very strange to be talking about a feast in the midst of Lent where we often talk about giving up something like chocolate or coffee or you know if you gave up coffee for Lent God bless you I couldn't do it and believe me y'all don't want me to do it just ask Miss Jessica she knows what I'm like when I haven't had my coffee. But that's what we often think of when we think about Lent. But honestly, I think talking about a feast here and now is extremely, extremely appropriate. Because this feast that God is setting before His people, the ancient Israelites here in Isaiah, it's a call to return to Him. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to saying, this is what I have to offer you. Everything else that you think you have is empty. But I am the God who can fulfill. I am the God who can satisfy the longing, not only in your stomach by providing you with food, but also for that longing that you have in your soul. As we would call it now, the singer Plum sang about it. She talked about the God-shaped hole in all of us. That is exactly what God is talking about filling there. He's promising much, much more than a physical feast. He is promising the best that he has to offer, the absolute best. And what is that absolute best? That absolute best is himself. He is offering himself to his people. And God is honestly up against some very strong competition. Now, first of all, I don't believe that anybody can beat God in anything. And that's exactly the point that God is making. But there's a lot of people who disagree with that. They think they have the answers. People that have fallen into the trap of paganism, which was a a big component of ancient Near Eastern life, and even devout Israelites with pagan rituals and idol worship and all of that around them, they were vulnerable to falling into that trap. And many of those people had done just that. And God is saying, I can give you much more than that wooden statue that you're bowing down to. Because as people, we want to we wanna be able to hold something. You know, I, I hold this cross when I preach as a reminder of, of who I am and whose I am, of who God is. But I don't worship this cross but what, But if I did, you know, the human tendency is to want to hold something, to think that this cross in of itself has the ability to, to save me or that I can hold in my hand and it's something that can deliver me. We have that tendency to want to think that way. We have a tendency to want to not think about a God that we can't see every single moment or hold in our hand. We don't think about The God of Abraham having the power to fulfill us and sustain us and to save us. But God is saying that, yes, I am the one who can give you much more than an idol that you can hold in your hand. And let's think about what idolatry really is. Idolatry, at the end of the day, is worship of ourselves and our own ideas. Because again, idolatry comes from human thinking. Idolatry is a way of us saying we know more than God. We know better than God. At the root of it, that's really what what idolatry is. It is worship of self. And it's prideful to think that we of our own accord can do anything to satisfy God or to score points for the hereafter or however you look at it. But God is reminding his people that he has made promises to their ancestors like David, like Abraham, and so many others before them. And God is also reminding them that he has kept every single one of those promises and he will continue to keep every single one of those promises. An idol is not going to give someone food that will sustain them. What God is talking about is you can't go and buy this idol and be fulfilled. What I have to give is fulfilling and it's not going to cost you a thing. God's love and God's grace and God's mercy, they are free, but they are not cheap. That's another sermon for another day. But what God is saying is that you don't have to do anything to earn any of this. It is yours for the taking. Come. That's all I want is for you to come. To turn away from those idols, to turn away from anything you think you can buy or anything you can make because it's just going to leave you empty. But God is saying, I won't leave you that way. I will fill you. God is saying, I have the milk. I have the finest food. All this other food that you think you have that's filling your stomach... It's really leaving you empty. But my table is bountiful. Come. And God is also letting us know, just like in human terms, we think that we have the answers. Well, God is letting us know that his answers and his ways are much greater and much higher than ours. God is saying, you don't need an idol. You just need me. God is saying, you don't have to have something you can hold in your hand. You just need me. And God is saying, I have everything you need right here. Likewise, as humans, we think that our way of dealing with sin is the right way to do it. True or false, we always want to deal with somebody else's sin. We don't want to deal with our own And much like us, unfortunately, the Israelites were kind of stuck in that line of thinking too. We see accounts in the Old Testament, especially of of stoning and of death and all other, other punishments. But you know, God certainly will punish, but he doesn't desire to. He's saying, my way, my preferred way is mercy and grace. And that's what you'll find at my table. Not your way, which involves stones and whatever else. My way is much greater. Instead of inviting us to a torture chamber for punishment, God is showing us mercy by inviting us to a table for a feast. I don't know about you, but I think that's a much better way. And the great thing is, it's ours for the taking. We just have to go. We have to leave all that other junk behind and go to God's table. And that's exactly what God is saying. And God gives so generously. Think about it like this. In full disclosure, I stole this from a friend of mine who shared this example on Facebook this morning, but I thought it was a great illustration. Think of it like this, a little boy in McDonald's. He's gone in and the only thing he wants to eat is a Happy Meal, chicken nugget Happy Meal. And let's be honest, all he really wanted at the end of the day was the toy. But he's, he's got the little, the whatever, the little box or whatever, and it's got his chicken nuggets and his french fries in it and he's happy. And he's looking around and he wants everybody else to be happy too. So he starts going around the McDonald's and he starts giving out his chicken nuggets and giving out his french fries to whoever. Just going around and giving each person he meets a little something from his his Happy Meal. And maybe mom and dad are a little worried because they bought this Happy Meal for their son and he's going around giving it to everybody else and then he's not going to have anything to eat. But imagine this, imagine if this went on for hours and the food doesn't run out. The little boy keeps pulling out chicken nuggets and French fries from his Happy Meal and he's going around giving it to everybody no matter what they look like or or whatever. He wants to share his, his love for them. He wants to share his joy. Folks, that's an example of what God is like. God is like that little boy going around McDonald's giving away his Happy Meal just to make somebody else happy. Just because he has love for them that we can't explain. And the good news is, is because God's resources are much more abundant than ours will ever be, is his goodness never runs out. Come, dear brother and sister, to God's table. But here's the thing, and also that we think we have all the answers. We also think we have to act as God's gatekeepers. That we get to decide who's worthy to receive the happy meal. That we get to decide who gets to come to the table. Well, folks, it doesn't work that way. Because when you read in that scripture in Isaiah, you see that God did not say, you're welcome at my table if. God did not say, you're welcome at my table if you come from this certain tribe. God did not say, you're only welcome at my table if you are part of this temple. Instead, God just says, come. No matter what. There were no conditions laid out that I saw. God's only hope is that whomsoever shall come will come. And that they leave reconciled and changed. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are better, says God. And I've prepared a table for you, and whoever else will come, just come. Turn from your ways and come. So, this morning, dear brother and sister, I ask you this question Are you at God's table? Are you feasting at God's table? Are you partaking of His goodness? Because if you are not, my dear brother and sister, God invites you to His table to come. To come and partake of His goodness. Or maybe you're at the table and God is telling you I want so-and-so to come too. And I want them to come because you're the one that brought them here. Who might God be asking you to bring to his table? Maybe it's 40 people. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Lenten challenge. Yield to God's way. Leave your way behind. Because I promise you that God's way is better. Leave your sin behind. And when you come to God's table, bring someone or 40 someones with you. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.